This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to episode 344 of the Tech Guide podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading once again. Great to have you with us and welcome to our first time listeners. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. This week, we're going to talk about the top 10 questions that we've been asked about electric cars. IKEA and Sonos have joined forces to create functional audio furniture and how your Samsung phone can replace your Opal card. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to check out the Huawei P30 Pro smartphone. Amazon has released the Echo Link to connect your hi-fi system to Alexa. And we are going to geek out about the new teaser trailer for Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And we're going to wrap things up with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company to keep you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, ever since we've been chatting about electric cars in the in the wake of the Labor Party announcement, they announced a goal to have half of all new cars, not half of all cars, half of all new cars sold in 2030. They want that ratio to be 50-50. So 50% of all new cars sold in 2030, that's their aim. They want them to be 50% of those new cars. Now, in the, whether you agree with that or not, or whether it's, a, it's achievable or not, the real upside of this whole discussion is the fact we're talking about electric cars. And as you know, I'm a fan, I'm a driver of an electric car. Plenty of conversations that we've had in the past week regarding electric cars and a lot of questions that have also been asked about electric cars. And one thing uh, that's also come out of this whole discussion is there are a lot of myths and a lot of, a lot of misinformation out there about electric cars. And there's a lot of people who hopefully have learnt something about electric vehicles and the potential they have. So forget politics, forget whether you think that Labor is dreaming or whether they're going to make it or anything. I thought I'd go through the top 10 questions I was asked about electric cars. And the most obvious is, number one, what is the range of an electric car on a full charge? And that depends. That depends on the type of electric car it is, just like it depends on the type of uh, internal combustion engine vehicle you drive. They've all got different size tanks, different capacities, same deal with electric cars. I can talk about the Tesla because I own it. The Tesla Model S has a range of 490 kilometres on a single charge. That's enough power for me to drive from Sydney, where I live, to the central coast and back twice, just to give you an idea of the distance you can travel on a full battery. Now, the P100D, my battery is a 75 kilowatt battery. The 100 kilowatt hour battery can take you about 540 kilometres. Now, recently, the Jaguar I-Pace was released in Australia. It has a range of 467 kilometres. So depending on the capacity of the battery will determine the range. So bottom line, bigger the battery, the more range, but also the bigger the battery, the more expensive the car is going to be as well. Question number two, uh, this was also, could have been number one as well. How long does it take to charge an electric car? Uh, and that is also depending on the type of car and how much you want to charge your car. Now, when Labor leader Bill Shorten was interviewed on radio, he was asked how long does it take to charge an electric car? He said between eight to ten minutes. 
Now, that wouldn't charge you completely. It is physically possible to charge an electric car for only eight to ten minutes, but it wouldn't it wouldn't totally charge completely recharge the car. Me personally, it takes my Tesla. If I'm at a Tesla supercharger, if I'm there, let's say that my battery is down to twenty five percent, and I want to charge to ninety percent, is what what they told me to keep the battery capacity at for day to day driving. So if I want to go twenty five percent to ninety percent, it's going to take about forty five to fifty minutes. So uh, it's not the five to ten minute charge, although Tesla's V3 superchargers will apparently halve that time uh, when they appear at the end of the year. So more more capacity, uh, larger output, so the battery will accept that charge a bit faster. And I think that's what we're facing now. Battery technology really hasn't done much in, in, in decades, but it's the rate of which we can charge those batteries that's really improving. We've seen it with smartphones. You can charge a phone now. Uh, in uh, gets, We're going to talk about the Huawei P30 Pro later in the show. You can charge it to 70% in half an hour. So this fast charging technology is really developing. Same deal for cars. There's already a couple of Australian startups that have batteries, uh, sorry, chargers that will charge a battery on an electric car in about 20 minutes. So good news there. Battery technology really hasn't moved much, but the charging technology is moving along as well. Now, if I were to charge my car at home, I obviously don't have a supercharger. I've got a wall a wall connector. Uh, it has about thirty amp. It's a thirty amp wall connector. So if I was on really low, so I would say five percent, it would probably take about four and a half to five hours to charge the battery to one hundred percent. So that'd be an overnight job. So, and I've got three phase power connected to my solar panels, which are connected to my inverter, which connect to my box, and then that's where I get my power. If you have a single phase Tesla wall connector, uh, that output drops a little bit. It'll probably take up up to four times longer to charge your car, probably possibly up to 12 hours. And again, it's an overnight proposition. And you've also got to remember, you're never ever charging from zero to 100%. You're only ever topping up the battery. So people who are saying, oh God, 12 hours, you're never ever going to be every night charging from zero to 100%. You'll probably come home from a day of driving. If you do drive out of your driveway at 100%, you probably come back at the end of the day, it'd be 80%. So just get topping up that 20%. It's not going to take 12 hours. It might take an hour or an hour and a half. So that's what people have to understand about the whole charging process for an electric vehicle. Just think about it as your smartphone, but on a grander scale. When do most people charge their phones? Overnight, when they're sleeping. Same deal for the car. The other question I was asked a fair bit was, how long does the battery on an electric vehicle last? Well, like uh, every other battery, it does have a lifespan, and after a certain period, its charge cycles, it, it can't keep a 100% of the charge. Same thing for your phone, same thing for an EV. After about 10 years is when you're going to see pop the, the capacity reduce. Uh, Tesla offers an eight-year warranty on its batteries. So after eight years, obviously, the, uh, the battery is going to degrade slightly and won't hold 100%. But even if it holds 90%, that's what I was told to keep my car charge level for day-to-day driving. That's still going to be working for me. Uh, if it even gets down to 80%, that, that wouldn't be an issue. I, I don't drive on long commutes every single day. But after 10 years, I'd like to think I'd probably have a new car by then. But more than 10 years is the answer to that question. Number four, do they lead, need a lot of maintenance? No, they don't. 
unlike a regular internal combustion engine, which us EV drivers refer to as ICE vehicles, that's internal combustion engine for short, so it's an ICE. If, we ever, if, if ever an EV driver says, says they've been iced, it means that there's an internal combustion engine car parked in an electric vehicle charging bay. You know, normally they're marked to say electric vehicles only. That's the term we use. If we've been iced, that means there's an ICE, an ICE car in that charging bay. So, no, they don't need a lot of maintenance. And you think about it, my Tesla Model S has just 17, that's one seven, moving parts under the hood. And the only liquid I put in my car is wiper fluid. So no oil, no filters. So the service on an EV is basically just brakes and tyres. So really simple. Uh, don't need to change any oil or anything like that. So... Uh, and another thing too that you you have less wear on your brake pads as well. The reason for that is because electric cars have what they call regenerative braking. So anyone who's driven an electric vehicle will know as soon as they take their foot off the accelerator, the car slows down dramatically. My Tesla does anyway. That's what Teslas do. This action, this regenerative braking, so it instantly brakes without you having to touch the brake. So that action puts the added power that that generates back into the battery. So you're not I've driven on some journeys where I haven't had to touch the brake because the taking my foot off the accelerator slowed the car down enough for me to do what I need to do, whether it's to pull up near a stop sign or behind another car, and then I can press the accelerator again. So your brake pads are going to probably last twice as long as they would on an ICE car anyway. Number five, are they safe? Absolutely they are. Not having an engine in the in front of the driver, that makes a massive difference, especially if you have a head-on collision. Electric cars, uh, the motors on, on the Tesla and any other electric car are located on the axles of the car, so sort of under the car. Uh, and a Tesla, I can only speak on Tesla's behalf here because that's all I own, but Normally, uh, a Tesla is built with boron beams. I did the Tesla factory tour last year. This is how I know this stuff. And the boron beams provide this protection to the driver and the passengers. There is an interesting story that Tesla told. There is a machine used in the industry to test the roof strength of a car in the event of a rollover. It's this standard machine. You put the car inside. The machine then presses down on that vehicle to test its roof strength. Now, the story that I was told on the Tesla factory tour was that when they put the Model S in there, the Tesla vehicle, that the Model S broke the testing machine. That's how strong it was. So uh, very safe. It was actually uh, declared the sa- had the highest safety rating of any car ever tested, the Tesla Model S. So are they safe? You bet they are. How do they perform was another question. And if anyone who's ever driven or been a passenger in an electric car will know, they move. They've got instant acceleration. I'd love a dollar for every passenger I've pinned back in their seat who wanted to see how quick this car can go off the mark. It's got that instant torque that means you're going from zero to 100 in just over four seconds in my car. That's Ferrari speed. A Tesla P100D can do that to go zero to 100 in 2.7 seconds. So there's been a few V8 drivers that I've been next to at the delights, and they sized me up and had tried to have a go, and they were very surprised when my Tesla Model S zoomed past them uh, off the lights. But, uh, yeah, they do perform. They're very good. 
Question seven, what charging infrastructure do we need? Well, we need a fair bit. If this 2030 target is to, if we're going to get anywhere near it, if we, if we want to get to 20%, we are going to need it. Uh, the lots of, lots of infrastructure needs to be in place. Not only more charging stations, uh, more, more street charging facilities as well. There's a lot of people in the future who live in an apartment building. They don't have a garage. They'll want to be able to charge their car. When I was in Paris recently, there was a lot of what looked like, uh, parking meters that were actually charging stations and they were located on the roadside. So that's just a couple of examples there where we need more in hotels, shopping centres. Uh, in, in the future, what I'm thinking is that the petrol station of the future, like your BPs and Shells and Caltexes of the world, they're seeing the writing on the wall now. And while they'll still keep their petrol bowsers running until the last of the petrol cars are on the road... What I'd like to think is that they're going to transition these locations into both a petrol and a charging facility. I'm envisioning a situation where on one side is a petrol bowser or several, and on the other side are several chargers with a cafe in the middle. Because one thing you do when you've got an electric car, you need time. You can have a coffee, have some lunch. After 20, 25 minutes, you're ready to go and Bob's your uncle. That's what I'm hoping happens in the near future and that we also uh, have find the means to provide this added electricity. So whether that's going to come from coal or renewable energy, we need a lot more than we have now. And even now, the grid is pretty pretty tentative at the moment and adding this added pressure uh, is not going to be easy. Number eight, why are electric cars so expensive? Well, any type of new technology uh, is expensive and electric cars are new and they're expensive. So Tesla decided that they weren't going to make a little golf cart electric car. They were going to make a luxury car uh, as their vehicle and that has pushed the price up over $100,000. Jaguar followed in the same in the same way, uh, as will Mercedes-Benz, Audi, BMW, all these premium brands will also have electric cars, and they're not going to be cheap either. We are starting to see some affordable vehicles, and by affordable, I mean the Hyundai vehicle, that's electric car. Uh, it will be priced between fifty dollars and $60,000, so that's still expensive for a Hyundai. See, new technology is expensive. Now, hopefully, they'll develop the production efficiencies to bring those electric car prices down, and then they will be a lot more affordable and available to a wider range of customers. Number nine, do electric cars make any sound? No, they don't. The only sound you'd hear is maybe the tyres on the road. If it's like a, a gravelly road, you'd hear the tyres. But if it's a smooth smooth surface, say, for example, a car park in a shopping centre, you will hear nothing. How many times have I driven through a shopping centre, there are people walking from their car either into the centre or out for, to the, to, from the centre to their car, and... They're on their phone and they, I am one foot behind them and they do not hear me. So I think it's a bit too aggressive for me to beat my horn, but I've just got to be patient that they actually work out that there's someone there and to move the hell out the way. So that, that's one issue, especially if you're a driver, you need to be really, really careful because all it takes is for the driver not to be careful and the pedestrian to be not looking where they're going or keeping an eye out, not an ear out, but an eye out, and something could happen. So that's definitely an issue. There was talk that they were going to produce like a sound, an EV sound, 
so that if I'm driving my car, I can press a button and it makes this little polite noise to say, um, there is an EV in, around you, near you. So I don't know what that's going to sound like, but uh, again, I think that the horn's a little bit too aggressive. Number 10, last question. This was a funny one, and I answered it uh, to one of my, my readers on, on uh, Tech Guide. The answer was, the question was, can I tow my caravan with an electric car? And of course you can. Of course you can tow your caravan with an electric car. Recently, Tesla demonstrated the power of the Model X by towing a Qantas 787 aircraft, and it did it easily. So I think hitching a caravan won't be a problem. Yes, it will use it'll burn more battery, just like it will burn more fuel because of the added load, but it can do it and if you you need to charge up probably sooner than you than you would if you weren't towing a caravan, just like you would have to fill your petrol tank up uh, if you were towing your caravan as well. There are the top 10 questions I've been asked about electric vehicles. If you've got any more, send us send us a, them across. We'll do our best to answer them. But if you want to read that story, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Well, we know all about IKEA, and we also know about Sonos. IKEA is the furniture company. Uh, Swiss, or not not Swiss, they're uh, from Sweden, sorry, Swedish uh, furniture company. Sonos is an audio brand, a very well-known audio brand, one of the first companies to come up with a multi-room audio concept in their multi-room speakers that are controlled through an app and wirelessly connected. So what do you get when you cross an IKEA with a Sonos? They've, they've actually joined forces to present, uh, to, to pr- produce this combined lighting and audio solution it's called the symphonisk range which it's both a lamp and a speaker so you think about in your place have you got a speaker probably somewhere yes you have have you got a lamp somewhere you probably do now you can have them in one place it's one product so the lamp and the speaker are in one product and you think about the advantage of that apart from saving space it also saves the the cable clutter and the and the powerpoint usage as well if you would have a lamp and a speaker separately, that's two cords, two PowerPoints, two places in your home where you need to f- we figure out where to put these things. Well, now with the Symphonisk range, now it's all in one. And like a regular Sonos speaker, these are controllable through the Sonos app. You can stream your favorite services through these speakers as well. So, And being from Sonos, they're going to sound pretty good as well. The other product they've developed is a bookshelf with a speaker built in. So we've got the lamp with the speaker built in. Well, now there's also a bookshelf that's part of the Symphonix range. So you think of this bookshelf, you can maybe have it beside your bed. So not only is it a little bedside area where you can put your watch and your phone, whatever you happen to have next to your bed, but that's also a little speaker as well. And again, Sonos technology, wirelessly connected through your app, stream Apple Music, Spotify, whatever you want through that speaker. So really smart little combination of the IKEA and there. And, and by the way, being from IKEA, it's not coming in a flat pack, okay? You don't have to build this thing. It just it comes already built. So these products, the table lamp and the bookshelf, all the, speakers, the speaker side of them are compatible with the existing Sonos range of speakers. So if you've got other Sonos speakers in your home, 
it will fit into that ecosystem, and you can also control it with the Sonos app. Pricing has yet to be officially announced, but we think that the lamp speaker is going to be about 179 bucks. Uh, sorry, 299 bucks, and the bookshelf was going to be about 179 bucks. The prices we all quoted were in euros, so we just did a simple conversion then. So hopefully they won't be too much more expensive. Hopefully they'll be cheaper than that. But if you want to read more about IKEA and Sonos, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Well, it's not unusual for your smartphone to replace other things in your life. We've seen it with uh, it's our wallet, it's our camera, it's doing everything. And Samsung has now come up with uh, a new addition or an update to Samsung Pay where the Galaxy smartphone can replace, for this is for New South Wales uh, residents, can replace your Opal card. Now, for those not living in New South Wales, your Opal card is your the card you tap on and tap off at the train station to catch a bus, to catch a ferry. So now with Samsung Pay, a simple update means you can use your phone and your your payment card of choice to to use use that your actual device to tap onto the terminal and tap off again. So rather than having to pull a wallet out of your out of your sorry a, a card out of your wallet, you can just use your phone, your Samsung Galaxy phone running Samsung Pay onto the terminal. And the beauty of this system is that you don't have to stop what you're doing. In other words, if you're listening to music or hopefully this podcast or on a phone call, even if the device is locked, you can simply put your device over the terminal and boop, it'll work. Uh, instead of having to pull a card out of your wallet or even have an Opal card, this will work. Now, because it's pulling the money straight out of a payment card, there is if, if you do have a dedicated Opal card and if you do a lot of commuting, it makes it's probably a better deal if you have an Opal card. There are specials and things that you get from having an Opal card. That's one thing that you won't get with Samsung Pay. So this is probably best for an occasional, uh, an occasional commuter rather than a day-in, day-out commuter because I understand there are some fair specials that you may miss out on if you are using the Samsung Pay to replace your Opal card anyway. But it's an exciting step in a whole new direction, and um, we can already use our iPhones to pay for stuff and, and Samsung as well. But this is a bit of a breakthrough for Samsung to do this deal with the New South Wales government, uh, Transport for New South Wales, and have this in place. So if you're a Galaxy owner living in New South Wales, update Samsung Pay, and you better use that instead of a dedicated Opal card to pay for your fare. You want to read more about that story? Check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. That's the company that can protect you and your family online. Now, we live in a world where hackers are constantly finding new ways to steal your personal information. And because we spend so much time online, it's quite possible we could find ourselves in a cyber criminal's sites. The Norton team is dedicated to keeping people safe online, no matter how they connect. So whether you're, bank, you're paying bills on your phone, shopping on your tablet, or banking on your laptop, Norton Security Premium is working hard behind the scenes to help keep your information, your identity, and your devices protected. For more information on how to protect your digital life, visit au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. 
Our review this week, we're going to kick it off with the Huawei P30 Pro. I know we've spoken about it in the past uh, at the launch, at the time of launch. I was over in Paris for the launch, and I've been using this device for the past month now. It's been my daily driver, and I've got to say, this is probably one of the best smartphones you can buy right now. This is a, a really, really impressive device. Huawei... They're really hitting it out of the park at the moment. This is the company that sold more than 200 million devices in 2018 and is on track to do the same, if not more, probably way more, in 2019. And if the P30 Pro is anything to go by, then they're going to have a big year as well. Now, you've got to think about the the rate of growth in 2018. They had an increase for over 2017 sales. They had a 35% increase in 2018. Now, when you look at Samsung, which is still the world number one manufacturer, and Apple, Samsung and Apple, actually their shipment percentage shrank in the same period. So we there are people that are probably leaving Apple and Samsung to go to Huawei. So as I said, Samsung's still number one, but Huawei's actually leapfrogged Apple to take the number two global spot. Now, last year it was on the strength of the P20 Pro, which was released early in the year, and the Mate 20 series, which is also released uh, late in the year. So they're the only company that have, major company that have two major flagship releases per year. So remember I said here the P20 was released in March, the, P, the Mate 20 was in November. Now you think about it, this is my theory, they have a device at the start of the year to compete against the Samsung's new flagship that's normally released about March, and then another device at the other end of the year to compete with a new iPhone. That That's pretty smart. It's my theory, but it is smart. It's, it's a, They're combating both of their major competitors with a flagship device at either end of the year. Smart, smart going there. The P-Series, and uh, this is according to Huawei, is more of a lifestyle device with a focus, of course, on photography. This is a phenomenal camera, the best smartphone camera you can get right now. I can tell you that absolutely this is the best smartphone on a camera right now. Sorry, the best camera on a smartphone right now. So... I'm really impressed with this. Like I said, I've been using it for a while. Uh, Design-wise, it's it's what you'd expect. It's a full screen at the front. There's only a tiny little notch at the front for the 32-megapixel front-facing camera. So they're maximizing their screen space. So the screen-to-body ratio is very, very high. Another thing that adds more screen space is the fact there's no earpiece By that, I mean the little speaker that normally at the top of the device for you to hear your call you won't find one. Reason being, this has an acoustic display. So when you're when you have holding the phone to your ear, the speaker's actually below the screen. So you're hearing the audio through the screen. So just another way for them to maximize that screen space. Uh, it is does have lovely curved edges. It also has a curved screen as well. It does a look, I've got to say, it looks a lot like the Samsung devices, the S9 and the S10. Side on, they, they look really similar. Uh, and again, though, the, while people are saying, well, yeah, that looks like a Samsung, what the S10 has on board 
are features that were found that were released on the Mate 20 last year, like in-screen fingerprint reader, as well as reverse charging. They were features that Huawei introduced back in uh, November last year and have now appeared in the Samsung device. So I think... Uh, they're not they're not actually lending stuff off from each other or take stealing stuff from each other, but there's similarities going both ways there is what I'm trying to say. The hero, though, of the P30 Pro is the four-lens Leica camera system. Now, the P30 series is the P30 Pro, which is what we're re- reviewing today, but there's also a P30, which is a cheaper model. It's $1,099. The, P- the P30 Pro is $1,599. And it has the P30 has a three-lens system. The P30 Pro has a four-lens system, so it's made up of an 8-megapixel lens with a five-times optical periscope zoom lens, amazing technology, a 40-megapixel lens, and a 20-megapixel ultra-wide and macro lens as well. The fourth part of the lens system is the Huawei TOF lens, which is short for time of flight. That What that does, it can measure the distance to your subject almost instantaneously to get the exact focal length for your photograph. Uh, the display, as I said, nearly takes up the whole front of the screen. 32 megapixel front facing camera, that's pretty big. So if you're into your selfies, uh, your selfies are going to look better than ever. And even that, that acoustic display, the call sounded as clear as any other device that I've used. Now, the P30 Pro is powered by its own silicon, the Huawei's Kirin 980HI AI processor. The AI part of that name is artificial intelligence and does play a major part in this device and how smooth it is and how it performs. There is 8 gig of RAM, 256 gig of internal storage. There is an option to have a dual SIM uh, with the device, so you can have two SIM cards if you want, uh, or you can use the the tray for one SIM card and for the Huawei memory card. It's not a micro SD card. It is the Huawei's very own memory card that you'll need to buy, uh, and if you want to have that added memory instead of a second SIM card. So there's, there are options there, and I know all the telcos going to offer uh, a dual, there will be a dual SIM option depending on the telco you buy the device from. Software-wise, we're running Android 9, as well as the Huawei EMUI, which is short for Emotion User Interface. That's the EMUI 9.1, which adds another layer of software. And I've seen with other devices, this their own user interface can be very bloaty and add a very thick and unmanageable layer to Android. That's not the case with Huawei. Yeah, there are some double ups for apps, like you can. There's two calendars, two browsers. Uh, there's Google Photos as well as the Huawei Gallery. Uh, all this stuff, but look, it's not a deal breaker, and it's just one of those things that you get with an Android device that happens to have. Uh, this added user interface layer. But uh, performance-wise, this thing is smooth as silk, very responsive, very fast, no complaints there. On the security side, you've got your choice of having the in-screen fingerprint reader. You've also got facial recognition. Now, the face recognition, I've got to say, on the P30 Pro is a lot better than that on the Samsung. The Galaxy S10 face recognition, really not much chop at all. Uh, That's why the in-screen fingerprint reader was our go-to security method. With the P30 Pro, though, in the month I've been using it, I've had face recognition turned on. Face recognition worked really well and worked about 99% of the time. There was that occasion, I don't know whether I was in the sun or what happened, but it sometimes wouldn't recognize me, but it was very rare. Normally, like I said, 99 times out of 100 worked fine. Uh, The in-screen fingerprint reader also worked very well for the times that I just wanted to use my 
fingerprint to unlock the device. Really responsive, really fast. So big ticks for there as well. So security-wise, you're covered. Uh, now, the, the best the best part of the device, though, is the camera, and we're going to spend most of the rest of this time probably talking about the many, many features and benefits of this camera system. It starts off with that four-lens camera system. That's, that's part A of, this, of the camera system. Part B of this whole process is the super spectrum image sensor. So it's like having a great-looking car with a great engine inside. You've got these two major features together, and when they are together, it is remarkable, the quality of this camera. Like I said, I've not seen a better camera on a smartphone. And DxO Mark agrees with me. They've given it its highest score of 112. Uh, there were also were other awards that have come their way to award them the highest scores for smartphone camera quality. Uh, the beauty of this camera, though, is that whether you're an expert and want to get in for manual settings and try new things, or whether you're just happy to, to just to, to let the AI mode, the master AI mode, do all the heavy lifting. There's something for everyone. So there's enough control for those enthusiasts, but there's enough quality and intelligence for those who just want to snap away. So either way, you're a winner. We tried a bit of both, and we were amazed with the results. Now, with the Master AI, it does a lot of work recognizing what you're looking at. So, for example, if you, I held this up in front of Logan, my Dalmatian, and at the bottom of the screen it said, dog. It knew I'm looking at a dog. So it was automatically optimizing the the mode and the scene for that image. So if I was to hold it up at the sky or at greenery or flowers or a historic building or a person, it would automatically put it in portrait mode if it's a person. So really intelligent camera that can adjust those modes and settings on the fly and just come up with a stunning result. It's like I described it in my review as having like real-time Photoshop on your image. It's happening in real time. Portrait mode, really smart. Portrait mode is when your subject uh, is in, in focus in the foreground. You've got a beautiful bokeh effect in the background, that nice blurred background. Uh, there's a couple of examples of um, a portrait shot of myself and the Eiffel Tower blurred in the background. But I think one of the key features of the camera, the most, one of the most amazing features of the camera is the zoom. Now, zoom on on a smartphone camera, it's kind of it, you get a little bit of zoom, but not much. It's really hard to do zoom in on anything on your smartphone camera because it's physically impossible. Uh, it's not like having a DSLR, which has got a, this massive long lens and these mirrors inside it. A smartphone is very thin and very light, and there's no room for that optics until now. The Huawei P30 Pro has this periscope zoom system. So you'll, you'll see the, the very bottom camera on the left is more of a square lens rather than a round lens. The reason for that is there's a little prism underneath and there are five lenses stacked up alongside it. So when the light enters the lens, it bounces off this prism and through these this configuration of lenses so that you've got actual five times optical zoom that's that's all glass that's doing the work there's not digital at all uh, so from that five times you can also work up with the other lenses at 10 times hybrid zoom but also a 50 times digital zoom so any thought of zooming in 50 times on a phone you'd say forget about it but not with the p30 pro 
this is the most remarkable feature for me. And we've got an example on our review on Tech Guide. I was in Paris. I stayed uh, a couple of weeks longer after the launch. I was there with my wife. We had an lovely holiday. We went up to the top of the Eiffel Tower, and I thought, I'm going to give this Zoom a real test. So we were up there, and we took a shot of the of the Paris skyline looking towards, like in the direction of the Louvre and the Sacré-Cœur Church, that, that's uh, French for Sacred Heart, the church on the horizon. Now, on my story, and I please check it out on Tech Guide for you to really appreciate what I'm talking about here. On the original 1X zoom, so no zoom at all, you'll see a little red circle around the Sacré-Cœur Church on the horizon. Okay, scroll down, and then you'll see an image of that same church, only I've zoomed in 50 times, and you'll see how sharp and clear that image is. It is absolutely remarkable. Everyone I've shown this photo to has the same reaction. Get out of town. That is amazing. Uh, I've tried this numerous other times. I did a hands-on story a few weeks ago after I first got the P30 Pro, before I did my lengthy review, and I did the same thing. I found there was a guy up on his balcony. Uh, I don't know what he was doing, but I zoomed right in on him, and I could see what color shoes he was wearing, what, what color his clothing was, what he was doing. It was incredible. And I've done it here with the Sacré-Cœur Church from the top of the Eiffel Tower. Please have a look at our review. There's a lot of the pictures that we're going to talk about now are on our review on Tech Guide. So if you want to understand and appreciate what I'm talking about, you really have to head over to Tech Guide to, to, to appreciate it. Next up, if you ask, we often we often take photos in low light situations, and sometimes that's that's out of our hands. It's dark. You still want to get a photo, and most cameras, in fact, all cameras except the P30 Pro, will probably just give you a black image. Uh, maybe the Pixel Three with its night mode may do a good job, but I haven't seen anything better than what the P30 Pro can achieve with its night mode. This is a result of its having this super ISO sensitivity on it sensor so it can pick up light soak up light like a sponge like the light you wouldn't even think is there and put it in the photograph the example we use was a shot we went to the palace of versailles and we took a we were in the part of the palace of versailles is the opera house so this massive theater and when we went in there it was, it was dark you couldn't really see the roof and i'm thinking this is a really good example a great way to, to test out the this new night mode so you'll see again on my story, this nearly dark cinema, This sorry, it's not a cinema, it's an opera house, a theatre, and you'll see, yeah, it's okay, normal mode, you see a little bit of detail, not too much, but then night mode honestly looks like someone's turned on a floodlight and given me every bit of detail that is on offer. Again, get to my story on Tech Guide to really appreciate it. Night mode also kicks in, obviously, at night if you're shooting stuff with uh, light in the background. So a great example was the Eiffel Tower. There's a shot of me with the Eiffel Tower in the background. That was shot with night mode, and the, the just the brilliance of that light in the background is remarkable, and that is a result of night mode. Another night mode shot I took, and this is in the story as well, is a shot of the Eiffel Tower that I shot. I put my arm out of the window, out of the sunroof of a 
a moving car. I wasn't driving, uh, and I took a shot. I just snapped a shot of the of the Eiffel Tower before it went into a tunnel, and that shot also turned out great. Sharp. The light was there. It looked brilliant. It looked like I'd set that shot up. So it took me hours to set it up. It literally took me one second to take that photo, and it turned out terrific. The other real cool feature is the ultra-wide angle. Uh, there's a shot of, the, of Notre Dame, the very famous church uh, in, in Paris, and there is a shot of me barely fitting in the structure. And then the next shot down is the ultra-wide mode taken in the exact same spot. I didn't move back. I was at the exact position as the previous shot. And you not only see the building, but also the, the sky and all the paving and all the ground around the church as well. Remarkable. Selfies, also pretty cool. 32 megapixel front-facing camera. There's a shot of me in the Louvre in front of the Mona Lisa, no less. So check that selfie out as well. Camera is unbeatable. This is the best camera on a smartphone. Next up, though, let's talk about the battery. Again, one of the best features on the device lasted up to two days. And this follows on from the Mate 20 that's got some history here, Huawei, with their battery technology. The P30 Pro is even better. It's got a 42 milliamp hour battery that lasted up to two days. And I always use this is my daily driver, still is. And I use my phone a lot emails, phone calls, photos. But at the end of the day, I'd still have 50% battery left. In fact, I'd go to bed and forget to charge it. I'd still have enough power to get me through to lunchtime the next day at least. Even when I was in Paris, I was snapping away a lot of photos and I'd get home back to our Airbnb at the end of the day, would still have 35, 40% battery left. It is absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, if you ask anyone to, what the, the least favorite feature of their smartphone is, and I bet nine out of 10 will say the battery. So no such worry with the P, P30 Pro. And the good news is when it is time to recharge, it's got fast charging. So you can connect the battery, connect it to the fast charger that comes in the box. You'll have 70% battery back to 70% in just 30 minutes. So you, you're ready You're ready to go again. Say you're about to leave the office or you're at your home, half hour connected, you're back up to 70%. How good's that? The P30 Pro, I've got to say, one of the best smartphones on the market right now. Uh, it is 1599 bucks. It really delivers design, display, camera, battery, and and overall performance. There, this this is the phone to beat right now. Uh, it, it really does say a lot about Huawei's their dedication to the customer and trying to deliver that great experience. They've certainly done it with the P30 Pro. If you want to read my complete review. And have a look at those photos. Please get over and look at those pictures that I was talking about just to appreciate what I'm talking about. That Zoom of the Sacre Coeur Church, check that one out as well. If you want to read more from our story, our, our full review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Well, Amazon have been busy once again, and it wasn't long ago when they released the Echo Input. Remember that device that can turn any Bluetooth speaker or wireless speaker into a smart speaker? Well, they've gone uh, out again with a new, a similar device called the Echo Link and the Echo Link Amp. So what this means is you can connect these to a hi-fi system and be able to turn it into a smart speaker, a smart system, and then play and then control it with Alexa as well. So rather than just having the input, which is basically just a 3.5 mil jack, this can tap into your existing amp 
and 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 add Alexa to that as well. And if you don't have an amp, you can have you can buy the Echo Link amp. So it does create an amplifier for your system, so that you can uh, create that, that Alexa connectivity as well. So you can stream your music and access the Alexa Voice Assistant with the Echo Link and the Echo Link amp so now once it's connected to your system you might say alexa play music in the living room so that might be your stereo in the living room it'll it'll play that music and you can stream your favorite music services all through your the echo link now if you've anyone who's got a turntable who's got a a, a solid and serious hi-fi system not all of them are connected to the internet well this does create that connection it also creates that the link to have to bring alexa into the picture as well uh, the Echo Link amp has all the capabilities of Echo Link. Uh, Echo Link adds a two channel 60 watt Class D amplifier. So the Echo Link amp is 459 bucks. So that adds the two channel uh, Class D amplifier. That's 459 bucks. The straight out Echo Link, which exi- which could connect to your existing amp, is 299 bucks. So if you are in the Alexa ecosystem uh, and you wanted to get your your high fidelity system into that ecosystem as well, this is the way to do it and also maintain the quality of your system, but at the same time adding those smarts and adding the access to Alexa as well. So there's you can connect all of your stuff to Alexa, whether it's a Bluetooth speaker with Echo input or your Hi-Fi system and amp using Echo Link and the Echo Link amp. If you want to read more about that, check our story out at techguide.com.au. Well, this is probably what we've been looking forward to talking about the most. Uh, this is the look, the first look at the Star Wars Episode Nine teaser trailer. The film is going to be called The Rise of Skywalker, and this is how crazy I am. This this was happening over at Star Wars Celebration in Chicago. There was an Episode Nine panel planned for eleven a.m. local time which is 2 a.m. Sydney time. So 2 a.m. on Saturday morning here, uh, I was wide awake and streaming, waiting for the stream to start, and on came uh, the host of the panel was Stephen Colbert, the host of The Late Show, and he introduced Kathleen Kennedy, who's the head of Lucasfilm, and then J.J. Abrams, who's the writer-director of Episode Nine, and then the whole cast of the film. And they were chatting away and talking about what it was great to work together and what we can expect to see, and they didn't give too much away. But I knew that at the end of this panel, we were going to be treated to the first teaser trailer of the film, and we weren't we weren't uh, we weren't uh, let down there. I've got to say, it was very impressive. Only a glimpse, not too much to look at, but boy, uh, what they showed us was very impressive. Uh, it was it was dominated mainly by Ray. There was a scene where she's in a desert, which I don't know which desert it is. Is it Tatooine? Is it Jakku? I'm not sure. But there was the scene where she's the the when when the Lucasfilm titles come up at the start, you hear her panting, sort of heavy breathing in the background. She's trying to to, to get her breath back, and then you see her, and then the camera sort of moves in on her, and then tilts down to her lightsaber, and then we see this this craft, this this ship that's uh, coming. 
coming towards her. And we realise that it's actually Kylo Ren's TIE silencer, at least we think it is. And what she does, she starts sprinting towards the camera and then there's a force somersault uh, to go over and above the silencer. So uh, really exciting stuff. And we do see the gloved hands at the controls. Uh, uh, is this Kylo Ren's ship? We don't know. It look, does look like his gloves. So is this the start of that climactic final battle of the film? We see some other glimpses as well. We see a, uh, a city that appears to be in the mountain range and among the clouds is all a city up there. The, like All the lights is at night. Then the next thing we see is uh, Kylo Ren welding his helmet back together again. You remember in The Last Jedi, he smashed up his helmet in the elevator after the Snoke uh, had, had a bit of a go at him. Uh, he got a bit angry and smashed up the helmet. But what we're seeing now is that he's, he's got all the pieces back together again and he's welding it together and the lines of the weld are actually red. So it looks like veins on the helmet and that's actually how his helmet is going to appear. They, in fact, they launched the uh, the image that's going to be on the toy line which has a picture of Kylo's mask uh, with all the red weld lines in it. Uh, we then get a glimpse of Finn and Poe uh, on that same desert planet, I'm thinking. BB-8 also makes an appearance with a new droid. His new offsider is a droid named D.O. Then the next we cut to the Millennium Falcon with Lando Calrissian and Chewbacca at the controls. And you ought to remember, the Falcon used to belong to, to Lando Calrissian Han Solo won it in a card game that we saw in the recent film Solo and the last time Lando Calrissian was at the controls of the Millennium Falcon was back in Return of the Jedi when he helped blow up the second Death Star. Cut to, uh, in the teaser trailer, a battle on the desert planet. Uh, it looks like it's in the middle of a moisture farm. You see all these speeders and explosions, and then you see a quick shot of Poe, C-3PO, and Finn on a skiff. Then we see a really quick glimpse of what appears to be Princess Leia holding the medal that she gave to either Luke or Han Solo. Remember at the end of, of the original Star Wars film, A New Hope? They, they get a medal. Chewbacca doesn't get a medal. There's a lot of people very sensitive about that. But Luke and Han get their medals. This is a look at that medal. And it's in her hand. And uh, she is, you can see that. It, it is, I instantly recognize her from episode four. Then we see, speaking of Carrie Fisher, a scene of her embracing Ray. Now, what we understand, J.J. Abrams said this on stage, that there was some unused footage from The Force Awakens that they were able to utilise for Episode 9. There was never a thought of replacing Carrie Fisher or doing a CG version of Carrie Fisher. Luckily, they had this added footage, and we saw a glimpse of it in the trailer as well. Now, the last shot that we see is Ray, Finn, Poe, C-3PO, BB-8, Dio and Chewbacca all together overlooking uh, on a cliff overlooking a really, really turbulent and rough sea. And on the horizon, we see what appears to be the wreckage of one of the Death Stars. Now, I'm not sure if it's wreckage or is, is it being built again. That's something for us to wait for. But Once the screen goes dark after that scene, we hear a familiar cackling laugh. And it's confirmed that that is the laugh of Emperor Palpatine. Palpatine is back in the movie. And then we see the Star Wars logo. And then for the first time, we see the name of the film, which is The Rise of Skywalker. So remarkable. 
that a tiny teaser, it's only like about a minute and a half long, but so much they've packed into it, even the little glimpses they've packed in there, and wow, they haven't given any of the story away or anything like that. They've just really, it is lived up to its name. It is a teaser trailer that's teased what's to come. So we'll find out officially uh, when the film opens in cinemas in December 2019, December 19, 2019, to be precise. And we can probably expect another, possibly another teaser and then a full theatrical trailer once we get closer to that release date. But a lot of questions I've got, uh, I've asked. I've written a story on Tech Guide. I've did a shot by shot look at the tr- teaser trailer. I've got some theories that I won't bore you with here, but if you're those interested in Star Wars, you can go to Tech Guide and read what we've learned and sort of the, some of the conclusions I've come up with, why we're hearing the Emperor, what is going on, where it's all happening, why the film's called The Rise of Skywalker. If you're interested, and I hope you are, you can check that story out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand, and they're issuing a challenge. They're offering customers, the if they want to, to take the Orbi Home Wi-Fi Challenge. So if you buy an Orbi Wi-Fi kit, and if you don't get better home Wi-Fi, they will give you your money back. So what have you got to lose? The Orbi Wi-Fi systems are designed for any size home, large or small. From apartments and lofts to single-family homes and sprawling estates, no more dead zones anymore. And for those times when you need a little more, Orbi add-on satellites give you additional coverage inside and out. So it's perfect for backyards, garages, or even the granny flat. In today's modern household, Orbi's tri-band Wi-Fi system lets you stream your favourite movies in 4K and play online games by providing ultra-fast Wi-Fi no matter how many devices are connected. Orbi plugs into your existing modem and is really easy to set up with just a couple of clicks. And not only does it work great, it looks great too and blends into your home's decor. Orbi's the easiest, fastest and most expansive and advanced mesh Wi-Fi network available today. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Orbi, better Wi-Fi everywhere. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. And on the Tech Guide Help Desk, we also have another voice bite. Hi, Steve. I've recently bought a Galaxy S10, and it won't allow me to SMS photos when I send somebody a text message. The texting works okay but not the fatters themselves. Okay, well, this is uh, an issue that I have. It's not the first time I've heard this issue. Uh, it's basically when you when you've got, you got a photo attached to a text message, it's, a, it's an MMS. It's a multimedia message. So there are a few things you can do. Um, I don't know whether the, you, um, if Colin keeps his phone uh, on all the time. So there's the try to do a forced restart on the phone perhaps. You've also got to make sure that sometimes that if you're in a poor reception area, the message, so the text part of your message gets sent, but the picture part doesn't. So just check that you're in good reception area, good Wi-Fi reception. Uh, if you, another thing you could try is to turn your mobile data off and back on again. So that might sort of get the settings right as well. And lastly, and I've known this to work, if you reset your network settings, so you go into the general management of, so you go to settings, general management, and then reset, and then in that menu of reset, there is a reset network settings uh, uh, option, and you may have to enter your PIN and then tap 
the reset settings, and once that's done, then hopefully it'll work. Uh, and if it doesn't work, I'd say it'd be an idea, if those things don't work, it'd be a great idea to maybe pop into your telco. So I don't think it'd be, if it's an issue, I don't think it's going to be a device issue. It's probably a telco issue. So your, your telco, there may be some settings that you need to adjust, but generally I've been using the S10 as well, have done in the past, works great. SMS, MMSs work great, so I can send images with text messages. Uh, this is an unusual problem, not the first time I've heard it, but hopefully those are the questions those are the the solutions for you right there we've reviewed the s10 and the s10 plus and if you want to take a look at that review you know where to go techguide.com.au And that is full time for this week. Everything we've talked about on the show, you can find at techguide.com.au. And we'd love you to get in touch just like Colin did. You can record a voice bite. So record your question so we can play your voice on the Tech Guide podcast and answer it as we did before. If you want to send us an email, we don't ignore those. We'll read them at info at techguide.com.au. Special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thank you for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.